You are listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. God is good, and all the time, there we go, it is a joy and privilege to be back in God's house this morning, I uh, hope everyone's doing well, we want to ask if you will get your copy of God's Word and turn with us to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 43 through 51, and today uh, we're going to uh, talk about an issue that is very personable, uh, very personal to me. Uh, for those of you who may know me, I, I try to look on the optimistic side of, the, of life. I try to have a smile on my face. But deep down, I am very skeptical. Anyone else like that? I am very, a very, very skeptical person, and I have many questions uh, in life, and I have many things uh, that I struggle with in life. And so today we want to deal with a question about how do we deal with skeptics? And we want to particularly look at Jesus' model for counseling the doubters. And how many of you know today that all of us have doubts? Now, I know sometimes we try to play the super spiritual card and say, Oh, pastor, I never doubt, I never am skeptical, I never do anything. But is that really truthful? I mean, really? Let's just think about it. Let's be honest here. Uh, the problem with allowing doubts to go uh, un unhealed is that oftentimes we try to put a Band-Aid on a deep gash. And eventually, life has a way of ripping that Band-Aid off. And so uh, we need to come to God with our doubts. We need to come to God with our concerns. And what we find in the Bible time and time and time again is that God meets us where we are. And He meets us. And, and I remember, I think about the guy who prayed to the Lord, Lord, help my unbelief. And Jesus met him where he was and helped him to believe. So with uh, everyone who has their copy of God's Word, we would ask if you can and are able to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious Holy Word. We're going to look today at Jesus' encounter with Nathaniel. Uh, Nathaniel was uh, very skeptically inclined as well. So let's take a look at verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Now let me just say, Nazareth didn't have a bad reputation. Nazareth just didn't have any reputation. It was a one horse, or maybe you could say a one camel town. It was a very small community out, way out in the boondocks. And so he says to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, he says this, but Cana of Galilee was not much better. <laughs> it was a military outpost, but a very small community. But he says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi Nathanael replied, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus responded to him, Do 
you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than this. Then he said, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Dear kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, that you are patient and kind with us, especially those of us who have doubts, those of us who have questions. And we thank you, Lord, that despite our doubts and despite our questions, you meet us where we are and provide evidence to those who seek it. You provide help for those who need it and for comfort for those who desperately desire it. And we just ask, Lord, this morning that as I, as I come to you, I realize I am nothing and you are everything. I just simply ask, Lord, that you would allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken. Open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. When my package was shared with the church before you voted on me and, uh, and, and accepted me as your pastor, you probably looked at my resume and noticed that there were seven years unaccounted for in ministry. And you may have noticed that I was a pastor in the late 90s, and you may have noticed that I was resumed pastoring around 2009 and youth ministry a little bit there in 2007-ish, somewhere along in that area. And you may wonder, what happened? Well, there's a good answer to that. I had a crisis of faith. I was saved at a very early age, about seven years of age, and uh, had a wonderful upbringing. I'm very thankful for my parents, very thankful for them. Uh, but in the late in the nineties, I was uh, I was uh, called into the gospel ministry. And for those who knew me in high school, I was a little bit shy. I wasn't very active in high school. I wasn't one of the people you saw at the forefront of things. I was kind of more in the shadows, and I, I kind of liked it there in the shadows, lurking around in the shadows. Deborah knows I, I wasn't a very outspoken person. So when God called me to preach, I thought, Lord, are you kidding me? You want me to get up there and do that thing? Really? Seriously? You want me to stand up there in front of all those people? Oh, man. So anyhow, I accepted the call to preach. But in the late 90s, over in Pilot Mountain Library, which is a wonderful library, I encountered a book that rocked my faith. It was a book produced by the Jesus Seminar. Uh, it was talking about the five Gospels, the four canonical Gospels, and the, this mysterious Gospel of Thomas. And they concluded that only 12% of the statements attributed to Jesus were actually His. And I went to some... some, some and, and when I say this, understand I'm not being critical towards anybody. I don't want to sound like I'm, 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 I'm criticizing anyone or anything like that because I don't think the people knew how... the, the person knew how to help me. But when I came to a, a person and I asked a person, how do I answer these questions, I was met with criticism, saying, how dare you ask these questions? You shouldn't be asking these questions. You shouldn't be doing these things. You just believe the Bible because it's the Bible. Well, that didn't help me at all. <laughs> it didn't help me at all. And so my doubts only increased, and I thought to myself, if we can't answer this, how can I trust in what it says? And if I can't trust in what it says, how can I have integrity standing up telling people to believe in something that I don't wholeheartedly believe myself? So I had a major crisis of faith. Furthermore, I'd been hurt in church. Anybody been there? <laughs> Have you been hurt by fellow Christians? 
And that, that made matters worse. I thought to myself, okay, here we have a book. I can't defend it. I'm, I'm, I'm telling people to believe something that I don't know wholeheartedly is true myself, and yet I am meeting people who are treating me worse than people of the world. What's going on here? So I fell away from my faith, I guess you could say, and I became an agnostic for a while. I didn't, th I didn't get to the point that I rejected God wholeheartedly, but I didn't know if you could prove it. I don't, didn't know if you could know this true, and I didn't know that you could know that the Bible was true. But around 2001, working in a textile manufacturing facility, I met my wife, the, the lady who would be, uh, soon become my wife. I had to talk to her and talk to her and talk to her to, to finally uh, to, uh, get her to go out with me, and she finally gave me a chance. And lo and behold, we finally got married. But she told me, she says, now if you're going to be with me, you've got to be in church. And so I hesitantly uh, went along with it. Now, I did some things to try to show how big and bold I was. It didn't work. I'm not one who does well on roller coasters. I tried to be big and bold and go on the roller coaster with her, and it was ironically the hurler that did me in. <laughs> True story. Not me. <laughs> But in 2005, well, before that, we had, uh, we had joined Jennifer's uh, home church, and, and it was a small church, around 30 people, just good country folks. They took us in. They loved on us. They, they, they uh, wasn't critical of us or anything like that. They just took us in and loved on us and, and just brought us up. And that softened my heart to think, well, maybe I'll give this another look. Maybe I'll give this another try. In 2007, I believe it was July 2000, no, it was July 2005, I was driving down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Haynes Mall Boulevard, and something spoke to my heart saying, you need to go to Lifeway Christian Bookstore. And I thought to myself, why in the world would I want to go into Lifeway Christian Bookstore? I wasn't an avid reader, believe it or not, at that time. Outside of reading a few magazine articles or a few neat newspaper clippings, that's about all I read. And so I thought to myself, why would I want to go into Lifeway Christian Bookstore? So it just kept coming to me over and over, go to Lifeway Christian Bookstore. So finally I gave in, and I went into the bookstore. And I didn't know what I was there for, hadn't been in there, hadn't even been in there. And you know, everybody at Lifeway is so nice, welcome to Lifeway. And I'm looking at them like, what are you trying to sell me? You know, back off now, what are you trying to sell me, you know? So I go down there a few aisles in there, and I found some books that completely rocked my world. One was by Lee Strobel, who was a uh, Yale, school, law, Yale Law School student uh, who, who uh, came to faith after his wife, who became a Christian, challenged him to use his legal skills to see whether Christianity held up. And the, what he found, he said, it would take more faith for me not to believe than it would for me to believe that Christ literally died and rose again on the third day. I also read the book by Josh McDowell, which has been revamped by Josh and his son, uh, Sean McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And I remember sitting there uh, in the bathtub of all places, reading this book, and my mouth dropped open. I thought, wow, every question I had, there are reasons to believe that all the teachings of Jesus are legitimate. There are reasons to believe that the Bible is historically accurate. There are reasons to believe that God does exist and has a plan for our lives. And that completely rocked my, actually supported my faith to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for not casting me off. Thank you for, for loving me so much that you are willing to answer the questions that I have. And from that point in 2007, I told the Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do, but I will not be a pastor. 
See how that worked, don't you? <laughs> after undergoing a severe thunderstorm, uh, and it's amazing I'm even walking after the lightning that, that was all around me. I couldn't get back in the house. I stuck outside in the building and lightning coming down. I finally walked out of there saying, all right, Lord, I give up. I'll go back to pastoral ministry. If that's what you really want me to do, I'll do it. And so here I am today. But what I have found, I, I really kind of thought that God was going to call me into some type of apologetic ministry, and to a degree He has. That's why I run the website and do the podcast. Some people ask me, why do you spend so much time doing that? And the answer is that when I had a crisis of faith, I had nowhere to turn. I want to make sure that anyone who has questions have resources available to them so that that won't happen to them. Again, I'm not being critical of anyone. I'm just saying I want those resources to be available to anyone who who is looking for these type of uh, answers. But we see furthermore Jesus' model for answering skeptics. A lot of times when people ask questions, what we, what we do is we, 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 we put up that, it's a, it's a defense mechanism. We become a little angry. How dare you ask that question? But understand that the very heart of it is a person who is really seeking to know. And if we take the time to love that person where they are and to help them with where they are, God can use what we do to have a great impact in that person's life. So I want us to take a look at three ways that Jesus dealt with the skeptic. We see Nathaniel. Nathaniel is also known in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as Bartholomew. It's the one and same person. Nathaniel is his actual name. Uh, Bartholomew simply means son of uh, Tholomaeus, I think is how you pronounce that. If not, it's, hopefully it's pretty close. Hopefully I didn't massacre it too much. But anyhow, that's his name. Uh, Nathaniel uh, Bartholomew is his name. And so he is grouped together with Philip. And Nathaniel most likely uh, had been in, in maybe perhaps involved in some things that uh, made his skepticism grow. But we're going to take a look at that. Three ways that we can deal with the skeptic. Number one, dealing with the skeptic requires us to deal with the skeptic's pain. Nathaniel was not one who automatically followed Jesus. He wanted to know whether or not Jesus was legit. Now, the Jewish historian Josephus, along with the book of Acts, Acts uh, Luke records this in Acts, tells us that there were many self-professed messiahs in the first century. There was one guy by the name of Thutis, who proclaimed himself to be the Messiah. And uh, when that thing fell apart, he was executed and all his disciples scattered uh, and that movement came to nothing. There was another guy in Galilee whose name was Judas the Galilean. And he made himself out to be the Messiah. And so uh, what happened was is that Judas was executed and all his followers scattered, never to be heard from again. In fact, if it wasn't for Josephus and if it wasn't for Luke recording this in the book of Acts, we would have never even known that they existed. Now, this, this is also an apologetic point that you need to remember. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we would not be here in 2018 talking about Jesus. Uh, it took the resurrection of Jesus to verify to the disciples that He was, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and what He did backed up everything He said. So, so behind all of this, Nathaniel was very skeptical. And I wonder, I can't prove this, but I have to wonder if maybe he was involved with one of these false messiahs. Or if nothing else, maybe he saw all these false messiahs going about claiming to be something that they weren't. And he thought to himself, well, if all these guys are a bunch of fooey, what is a person coming out of Nazareth going to do? Nazareth is nowhere. I mean, if it's not nowhere, it's pretty close. 
You know, it's not, maybe not the end of the world, but it's, it's teetering on being at the end of the world. What could come out of Nazareth? So the thing we have to understand is behind Nathaniel's question was a lot of pain. And that's one thing we have to understand, that behind doubt is often some type of emotional pain. In fact, Dr. Habermas told us in this class recently that 80% of doubt that arises is not due to facts, but it's due to something that's happened to us in life. 80% of doubt is emotional. 80% of doubt comes from some type of pain we have harboring in our lives. And I want to say to you today, church, and I mean this without the greatest love and compassion, that the greatest enemy of the devil is the church, but also the greatest tool of the devil is the church. Because if we're not careful... Understand, beloved, people are hurt more by friendly fire than they are by enemy fire. We talk about atheists and agnostics. We talk about skeptics. But understand, we as a church, we hurt each other more than the world hurts us a lot of times. So we have to be careful and understand that the greatest commands that Jesus, of all the 613 commandments that Jesus could have chosen, the two He chose as most important were to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love each other, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And who is your neighbor? That's each and every person you encounter. Red, yellow, black, white, yellow with purple polka dots, it doesn't matter. If they're your neighbor, you're called to love them, even if it's maybe they might be a little unlovable. You know, you ever met someone like that? Oh, Lord, I love them, but you really want me to love that person? Even if it's a person like that, we're called to love them. We may not like them, but we're called to love them. Dr. Habermas I, I, I just really, I can't tell you how jacked up I was after this, after this seminar. I was ready to roll. I was ready to preach a message that Friday as soon as I got back. Man, I was just really enthusiastic about all the information he shared with us that week. Dr. Habermas is one of the leading authorities on the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. He's also one of the leading authorities on near-death experiences. And he told us in class, and he shared this publicly, the reason I have spent my life studying these issues is because of my first wife, Debbie. His wife, Debbie, passed away early on, leaving him with two kids, wondering how am I going to raise these kids by myself. And that sent him into a crisis of faith. That sent him into doubt. He, he was himself wondering, how do I respond to this? How do I know this to be true? And he said the evidence that he found that Jesus lived again and that there is an afterlife beyond this, a heaven that awaits us that's far greater than anything we can think or imagine, is so overwhelming that it's almost beyond doubt. It's almost beyond comprehension that there's so much evidence for both of them. It's absolutely amazing. Now, I've, I've, I've t told my testimony before, and people have asked me, well, what do you do about the pain we inflict on one another as Christians? Well, I'll give you four things. That I've, I, and there may be more things we can share, but this is just my feeble attempt to answer this question. What do we do about Christians who behave badly? Number one, I realize that Jesus is bothered by a Christian's bad behavior far more than I ever will be. Amen? Jesus knows all and sees all. The Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, observing the evil and the good. And so God knows more about it than even I do. Amen? He knows more about it than even you do. Okay? But secondly, everyone will answer for their own sins before a just and holy God. God is the judge and I'm not. 
And I'm so glad of that. I'm so glad that he's the judge because he's going to get it right. I know I'd mess it up, but he's going to get it right. And believe you me, after seeing the power of God in that thunderstorm, I want to tell you something. I don't want to be standing before a just and holy God knowing that I've hurt and abused people. Amen? I don't want to stand before a just and holy God knowing that. Number three, I also realized that at some point in time, I probably offended someone myself. I've probably been that person to someone along life's way. And last but certainly not least, I realized, well, I have a choice. Either I can spend all my time worrying about what other people are doing, or I can spend my time devoted to Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel with a lost and dying world. Folks, there are people out there who are hurting. There are people out there who need Jesus. And so why do we want to spin our wheels in the mud attacking one another when we need to be out there on the highways and hedges telling people about the gospel, uh, telling people about the faith, the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God found in Jesus Christ? So I choose the latter. I, I choose to spend my time telling people about the love and grace that's found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So we not only need to deal with the pain, we also need to deal with the skeptic's pursuit. In verses 47 and 48, Jesus confronted Nathanael. And you know what he did? Nathanael was off by a fig tree praying before they even met. No one was around Nathanael. No one was around there. And Nathanael was praying things that some, to the degree that only God would know what he said. And Jesus basically comes up to him and say, said to him, I knew where you were praying and I knew what you were praying. He basically, can you imagine if someone came up to you and told you everything that you'd been praying, and you'd been praying quietly in a place where no one else was, and that person told you what you were praying, and you can see the response of Nathaniel. He says, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. His doubts turned to faith. His doubts turned to faith because he realized that Jesus was not just somebody from Nazareth. Jesus was not some lowly country guy. Jesus was indeed the Son of Almighty God who had come to save the world. He realized the great power and the great mercy that was found in Jesus Christ. People do not need to fear the truth because the truth is on our side. The truth is on our side. Listen, you don't have to worry about science. Because I'm going to tell you something. Hugh Ross, who is a Christian astrophysicist, said that he has found over 181 signs of design in the universe. Some of them are so exquisite that if these formulas were changed by the nth degree, not only would life be impossible, but the universe would fly apart at the seams. We're talking about gravity. We're talking about electromagnetism. We're talking about all these forces. They are so finely tuned that if they were to change by the nth degree, the universe would not be able to exist. And he says that shows us that not only did God create everything, God is sustaining everything. If God took his hand off the universe, everything would fly apart at the seams. We would not be here. J. Warner Wallace, you may have seen him on um, Dateline. I had a chance to meet him. He's a really great guy. He was on Dateline several times, and he is a Los Angeles police, uh, police department detective, a cold case homicide detective. And what he does is he uses these skills to go back and evaluate eyewitness testimony to see whether or not they are truthful or not. He has a certain skill set where he can tell whether or not someone's lying or not. I, I wish I could have that. Wouldn't that be nice to be able to... 
I don't want my wife to find it. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm just messing up. But, uh, but it would be a nice skill set to have to be able to tell whether someone's lying to you or not. And when he evaluated the Gospels using this skill set that he developed as a cold case homicide detective, he said that he realized that the Gospels were in fact eyewitness testimonies. He said this, I began to use forensic statement analysis as I studied the Gospel of Mark. Within a month, and in spite of my hesitation, he was a hardcore angry atheist at this time, he said, despite my hesitation, I concluded that Mark's gospel was the eyewitness account of the Apostle Peter. I was beginning to move from a belief that Jesus was a wise teacher to a belief in what he said about himself. He became a Christian, he became a pastor, and he is traveling the world now. I, I, I'm looking to maybe try to book him here sometime, but it was like 2020 before his schedules opened up. So anyhow, but, but, uh, but uh, he is traveling the world telling people about the reasonability, the rationality behind Christianity and why you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. People have questions. Jesus gives us answers. If we'll simply seek him, if we'll simply seek Him and ask Him and be willing to ask Him. Now, evidence doesn't save, but I believe the Holy Spirit uses that to clear away the brush, to soften our hearts so that He can reach out and mold us and change us and save us by God's grace. Last but certainly not least, we need to deal with the skeptic's purpose. Jesus didn't end His dealing with Nathaniel just yet. The structure of the text in Greek indicates that he not only spoke to Nathaniel, but he was speaking to everyone who was listening to his voice. And he said, Do you believe because I told you uh, that I saw you under the fig tree? Truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He says, You have a place in my kingdom and you're going to see greater things than you can ever imagine. You, you're going to see amazing things happen because you're part of the kingdom of God. One thing I realized, you know, we talk about evil. We wonder why bad things happen to good people. And, and as Greg Kokel said, I, I really like what Greg Kokel said. He said that there are easy questions and there are hard questions. The easy questions are, can we know that God exists? Absolutely you can. Can we know that Jesus literally walked out of that empty tomb the first Easter Sunday? Absolutely, you bet. But the harder questions are, why do bad things happen to good people? Why are there good parents wanting to have children who can't and then bad parents who end up having them? Why do some of these things happen the way they do? And he said, the only way I've been able to work through this is, is this. When something happens that I don't understand, go back and focus on the things I do understand about God and that God is all-powerful. God is everywhere. And in all places, He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is with you no matter what you're going through. He is with you. No matter whether you can feel Him or not, He is right there with you every step of the way. God knows all. Now, let me just give you a warning. Don't try to play chess with God. Because how are you going to play chess or checkers for that point with someone who knows every move you're going to make before you even decide to make them? I don't want to play chess against a person like that, do you? <laughs> So God knows everything. He knows everything about you. He knows the hairs that are on your head, and He knows that mine are growing fewer every year. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. You don't have to worry about the future because God's already there. We can know by, by the gospel that God loves us with an everlasting love, that no matter what happens to us in life, 
that we have the blessing that He will not leave us, He will not forsake us, and we also have the blessing, beloved, of a wonderful place called heaven. That I want to tell you this, the more I've studied the heaven, heaven the more I'm amazed by it. it. Heaven is far bigger than we can ever think or imagine. Heaven is going to be absolutely spectacular. It's going to be an amazing place and never lose that focus. But the thing about it is, is that in Christianity, we find purpose. Atheism has no purpose. In atheism, you can't find any purpose whatsoever. In agnosticism, you can't find purpose. All we are, according to atheism, is uh, molecules in motion beating to the drums of our own DNA. What hope is that? We have no hope of an afterlife in that type of philosophy or anything of that sort. But in Christianity, in Christ, you have a purpose. Each and every single one of you who are listening to my voice today... God has given you a skill set that He hasn't given anyone else. You have gifts and talents and abilities that He's not given me. You have gifts and talents and abilities that He's not given anywhere else, anyone else. So what we need to do is to find our purpose in Christ. And we need to help the skeptic find their purpose in Christ Jesus and understand that the only purpose we can find in life is because of God and because of what He does for us. Cornelius Van Til said, Unless God is in back of everything, you cannot find meaning in anything. And I cannot even argue for belief in Him without already having taken Him for granted. William Lane Craig has argued that without God, there is no purpose to life. There is no purpose whatsoever. And in fact, Viktor Frankl, a man who was in Nazi concentration camps, I believe he was in Auschwitz, if I'm not mistaken, said as he was in the, in the concentration camps, he noticed that those who had no faith in God were the first to pass away because they had nothing to live for. But those who had faith in God lasted the longest. Those who trusted God lasted the longest because they knew they had purpose. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, know that God loves you with an everlasting love. And know that you're not a mistake. You're not a mistake, friends. You have purpose. God has placed you in 2018 for a reason. God is using you for, to do something great. Whether you realize it or not, as long as you stay faithful to Christ, you're going to be a blessing to someone. Everyone needs purpose in life. And in Christ, we have purpose. Let me close with this. Gary Habermas again noted that 80% of doubt is emotional. 80% of our doubts come from something bad that has happened to us. It may be something bad that happened to us as kids. It may be something that, that we're carrying along with us. It may be some type of bitterness that we're holding. And we're wondering, we're holding this resentment, we're holding this bitterness. So how do we deal with that? Ingle could back me up here. I was talking with her about this <laughs> to verify that this was, this, was, this was right on target. First of all, locate your lies. Locate the doubts, and let's just be real. God wants us to be real. He doesn't want us to put on a show. Don't, don't try to put on a mask before God because He can see everything about us. Amen? And His opinion is the one that matters the most. Locate the doubts that you have, and two, remove them by arguing against that. See, see the flaws and the, the doubts that you have Maybe it's about yourself, maybe it's about God, maybe it's about the Bible. And most importantly, replace your lies with scriptural truth. Think the right thoughts. Memorize scripture. Understand that God wants us to be joyful people, even despite what we may be going through in life. 
And then lastly, understand these four truths. Realize when your doubts are emotional. And we guys have the hardest time with this, don't we? We guys have the hardest time realizing that we may have some type of emotional hurt in our lives. But realize when those doubts are emotional. Two, let Christ heal your pain by choosing to forgive. When you forgive someone, you're not saying that what they did to you was okay. And you're not giving them permission to do it to you again. What you're simply doing is taking that pain and taking that hurt and place it in the hands of Almighty God and say, God, I can't deal with this here. I'm going to give it over to you and trust Him to work through that and know that He can make a change in that person where we cannot. Number three, when in doubt, seek it out. Listen, I'm not saying that we have to know all the answers to all the questions because we're not. We're not going to do that. But understand there are people that you can turn to who will help you. And I'm just saying this. I said this to the 830 crowd. I want to say it to you here at the 11 o'clock crowd and everyone who may be listening by way of YouTube. Not only as your pastor, but as your friend, if you have doubts, Wes and I are willing to listen. And if we don't have the answers, we're going to try to seek it out. We're going to seek the resources I have some friends up at Liberty University. He has some friends at Southeastern. We'll keep digging till we'll find some type of an answer to it. Amen? Amen? Come on, don't leave me hanging now. So if you have questions, don't think that no one's going to understand. I believe that's why God called me back into the ministry. Because I have honestly seen people in church who have had some of the best questions I've ever encountered who may be struggling with some issues in their lives and are just too afraid to ask someone, listen, you come ask me a question. If you're struggling with something, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to try. Chances are likely I've had the same question myself. We're going to try to help you find the answers to whatever questions you may have. And then lastly, realize your purpose in Christ Jesus. Understand your life is not a mistake. You are here with a purpose. Find your purpose in Christ and use the gifts that God has given you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you have questions, willing to work with you. More importantly, Christ is willing to work with you no matter where you may be to help you find the answers to life's most important questions. He has the answers to even life's most important questions. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask that you come down and receive Him today before it's eternally too late. You may not have another opportunity to make things right with Him. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're carrying some type of baggage in your life and maybe you just need to give it over to God. Maybe there's someone today that you need to forgive and place that person in the hands of God and say, I can't deal with this anymore and I'm not going to let this this issue steal my joy. I'm going to give it over to a holy God who knows how to solve this better than I can. Or maybe you're here today, maybe you want to refine and refocus upon the purpose that God has given you. We encourage you to come and do that. Or maybe you just like to simply join the ministry of this church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your life, we would just encourage you to respond according to the Holy Spirit's call. The kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are truth. Titus 1-2, you tell us, that you, it's not that you choose not to lie, you cannot lie because you are truth. And the promises you give us in Scripture absolutely hold up, absolutely. And we just want to ask, Lord, that you would just have your will on your way in this, this time of invitation. 
that if there's anyone struggling with something today, that as they leave the sanctuary today, that today would be the day that they find freedom from whatever is stealing their joy. That today would be the day that if there's someone here today that knows you not, that today would be the day that they would receive you as Savior in God. Lord, help us all to be filled with the joy of your Holy Spirit and the peace that comes with your understanding. We ask all these things in the name of The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of BellatorChristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Ooh,